The Going Viral podcast from Health Ed shares the latest information on COVID-19 from authoritative voices and leading experts. You can find all episodes at healthed.com.au or if you're a registered health professional, you can listen on the Health Ed app as well as access many educational resources to support your professional development and practice. Just a quick reminder to encourage you to register for next week's webcast on Tuesday, the 7th of December, featuring Professor Mary Louise McLaws, who will be talking about the Omicron variant and what the implications are in the near to medium term future for Australia and the world. Hello and welcome to Health Ads Going Viral. I am David Lim. It is Tuesday, the 30th of November. Dr. Gary Groman delivers an Omicron variant update. At the moment, it seems to be a more reassuring rather than a deeply concerning issue. Find out more. Dr. Groman, once again, thank you very much for speaking with us. Please tell us about yourself. Thank you, David, and thank you for having me yet again. I'm a consultant virologist and I've worked for the TGA for some 17 years and prior to that had a fairly long research career in virology and um, uh, since the TGA I've been working for the World Health Organization. Gary, now that we've had the Delta wash over the world, this Omicron variant seems to have hit the headlines all over the place. What do we really know about it? Right. What it is, well, firstly, it is early days, but the early signs are very, very good. And what we're seeing is, I think, a classic cycle in virology of where we've had a fairly severe virus come through, a little more severe than influenza in terms of the original strains. We then had the alpha strain. We then saw evolution of beta and gamma, and then finally delta. Since then, we've seen a couple of variants of concern that have come and gone, like mu, iota, epsilon, for example. And now we see a new variant called Omicron. The concern that people have about this uh, particular um, variant is firstly, not enough is known about it yet, which is one problem. But secondly, we are only seeing cases at the moment in very few countries. We're seeing it in parts of Africa. Um, we're really seeing maybe up to 200 cases at the moment around the world, uh, which isn't very many. And from there, we've been able to glean that doesn't seem to be causing any more severe disease, which is good news. It seems to be about as infectious as Delta, which probably is good news in the sense, because it's not as severe, it might actually create an endemic situation where people can become immune to this virus quite naturally. Uh, that all remains to be seen. It's, but unfortunately, a lot of fear has crept in because there are some 30 mutations on the uh, spike protein area. But as a virologist, I look at those 30 mutations and say, well, we've seen most of them before. They've come and gone in various groups, alpha and beta and gamma, for example. But in the case of Omicron, they've all come together seemingly. And then people have said, well, what will that lead to? Well, we know it has not led to more severity, increased hospitalizations or deaths. So the usual questions that people ask, uh, will it transmit faster? And I don't think 
it will significantly anyway. I think it'll be like Delta. Um, and will it cause more severe disease uh, in infected people? And the answer to that appears to be no. And the caveat on that is that most of the data is in young people. We haven't got a lot of data in people over 70. So we haven't got any data in people that are immunocompromised. And we haven't yet got data in people that are pregnant. So those three areas, you know, we need to keep an eye on. But there just is no data to comment on. But as an expectation, I can offer that I don't think anything particularly nasty is going to happen here. I don't think there's anything to see yet. And then the final question is, will there be escape from the current vaccines? And we're going to need a little time to answer that question, David. It's going to take a couple of weeks. I do note that I think the two people in Sydney was reported today uh, were double vaccinated, but they still got the infection. But they quickly followed that comment up with the fact that they're asymptomatic or very, very, very mild illness. And that's the uh, news that's coming out of South Africa again and again from various authorities and virologists that, yes, there is a new uh, variant out there of concern, uh, as WHO have called it, but it's not causing any more severe disease uh, as far as we know. This is a public health announcement on behalf of the Immunisation Coalition. Well, hello, my name is uh, Professor Robert Boy. I'm an infectious diseases specialist and epidemiologist. And I especially like to talk about uh, vaccination and the prevention of vaccine preventable diseases. There's a very real risk that a whole bunch of viruses will be imported, but influenza is the most concerning. Suddenly, when we shut the borders in March 2020, mm. flu went away. And we haven't had a flu season now for two years. And that is really, really important because there's no natural immunity out there uh, nearly as much as there was. And also the influenza vaccination rate in 2021 was really quite low. People were so busy getting themselves COVID vaccinated, they didn't get their flu jam. So the combination of two really quiet flu seasons, very quiet in Australia, and a poor level of vaccination in 2021 against influenza mm -hmm. means that there's a great many people who are much more susceptible to influenza than usual. And I would predict that we'll get at least a moderate season and probably a big flu season. 2017 and 2019 were both big influenza seasons in Australia. We've now had two quiet ones. I would predict fairly strongly that we're due for trouble in 2020. 22, and it's probably going to start early in 2022 as well. So what we do have already is a lot of vaccines from last year against influenza in people's fridges. Now, because flu hasn't been transmitting, it also hasn't been mutating. When flu is in anyone's body, it can change its spots within a couple of days. It's an RNA virus that mutates very easily. A COVID takes more like two weeks in a chain of transmission to get a meaningful mutation. Flu takes more like two days. So because flu has not been transmitting, it won't have mutated terribly much. And so the vaccine that we've had all year and in our fridges still, if we suddenly got a surge in December, January, people who are at risk, especially 65 and above chronic medical conditions, they may well benefit from a flu jab, a booster, especially if they didn't have one last year, if they forgot. So those flu jabs in your fridge might actually turn out to be useful 
in uh, December, January, if we suddenly get the surge that I'm worried we might have of influenza. And then we'll have new flu jabs available from March. And they, of course, have been updated and uh, they would be appropriate to use from March. In a funny kind of a way, Gary, you, you may almost say that we have N equals two uh, in the sense that we have two double jet patients who have the disease, but have shown us that the disease is mild. So when it comes to a uh, vaccine efficacy, who knows that, you know, in the longer term, this N equals two might prove to be more than that. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting from here. I've I remember speaking to you possibly in the very first interview we did together and, and saying that this virus will end up being a mild, typical common cold. And it will take four to five waves. We're on our fourth wave now in some parts of the world and third in the others. And this is exactly what we've seen, exactly what virologists expect. So in the early stages with Wuhan, when the virus is, it's made its jump from the species barrier uh, um, from bats, uh, pangolins, and so on. Uh, how we don't need to discuss that, but it's made the jump. Uh, and then it initially causes very severe disease. And this is so typical of a zoonotic infection. Then as it adapts to human cells, it becomes milder and milder as it mutates. There are point mutations on the way, drift, if you will, which allow the virus to become more infectious. And we've seen that as well from alpha through to delta. Now we've got Omicron, which is just as infectious. So we've seen that on the infectious side. With the next question about severity, it's been getting steadily less and less. The death rate is dropping. It's dropped from two point something percent now to well and truly less than 1% around the world. So we're seeing that happen as well. And we know who it's affecting. Uh, we know it's affected mainly older people, and we know it's affected people that have concomitant conditions of one sort or another. We also know it hasn't affected young adults as much, and we know it hasn't affected children hardly at all. Uh, so un unless, again, uh, these groups have underlying conditions. So we, we can see this stratification of both severity uh, and transmission in these various groups. So we have a lot of data already and know a lot about this coronavirus plus uh, the other four common cold coronaviruses plus SARS-1 plus MERS, we have a tremendous amount of information. From a virological point of view, I truly expect Omicron in a way to be a bit of a saviour. I, I, you know, I think it should spread. I think it should be almost allowed to spread because here we have our um, natural, inf uh, our natural booster, if you like a virus that's going to go and uh, around and infect people in a very mild way and hopefully not cause severe disease in the vulnerable groups. But that has yet to be determined. But eventually we're going to have to, I think what New South Wales has done is exactly right, accept it as an endemic virus, try and get as many people vaccinated as possible and they're well into the 90% for double vax now and Australia's 87% for double vaccination which is a fantastic achievement. And then really accept the virus because it will be the natural vaccine, so to speak. It will be the booster. And sure, if you're in a vulnerable group or an older person, yes, of course you would get the booster. If you're about to travel, of course you would get the booster. And the question then is when? 
And we know antibody wanes from about three months and really antibody wanes at about six months by about 50% or so. So it would make sense to get a booster at least every six months. And ideally, as I think we spoke about last time, around about March, April, just before the winter season, uh, to get the booster then and probably uh, September, October, would be another good time to get the booster before the summer season when most people travel, right? They go on holidays they, uh, around Australia and so on and so forth. And of course, if you go into the Northern Hemisphere, getting the vaccine in March, April, you'll be traveling in the summer um, in the Northern he Hemisphere. So this is just a common sense strategy, I think, and I hope it goes that way. But I think at the end of the day, we are going to have to accept this virus as being endemic and hopefully we'll get milder strains. We've seen this before in stories of many viruses, rabies and smallpox, where we've been able to take milder versions of the disease and call them a vaccine. Alastrim, for example, in the case of smallpox or the use of cowpox uh, to give a milder disease so we didn't get the severe disease. And this was the whole initial idea well over 100 years ago now uh, of vaccination to protect the community from dangerous pandemics. And uh, this kind of approach is now what we need to almost implement now, in my view. Uh, we've had a double vaccination. We shouldn't be too concerned anymore about coronavirus unless there is a brand new variant that comes that has severity, high rates of hospitalization and death. And I think we can be very, very positive at this stage about Omicron and um, not be too concerned. Of course, authorities will test, trace and isolate and that's fine, but I don't think there's any need. I mean, personally, I don't think there's any need at all for quarantine anymore. If people are coming from areas that are a bit of a bubble in that they haven't got Omicron uh, or a lot of Delta and they're double vaccinated. I think there's a double vaccination that's the key and the testing are prior to travel and on arrival. That's the key. There's no need really to do any more at this stage this virus is becoming less and less severe as time goes on. How long before we know for certain um, that Omicron is A, as infectious as Delta, and B, uh, much less severe? What it's going to take about two weeks. We, we need to get some data in people that are older, and uh, we, we haven't got that yet. So I think it will take about two weeks, and that data could come from Hong Kong or Belgium or the States, wherever the virus is. It will spread, there's no question. Nobody will be able to stop this. It, it is impossible. I mean, you can only hold a ball underwater for so long. Uh, you, that's, they're the border restrictions, but you can only do it for so long. Then the virus will get in eventually, um, no matter what you do, and it will start spreading in the community. And if you're double vaccinated, let it spread. I, I, think, I think we need to change our thinking now because we have a good vaccine or groups of vaccines. We have good hospitalisation facilities here in Australia uh, and uh, we do need to let it run. But to answer your question, it will take around about two weeks, particularly to find out about any escape from the vaccine. That's, that's the key question now. Uh, we've answered the transmission and severity to about a 90% certainty. We now need to work out uh, if we need to make uh, a new vaccine as a booster. That's, that's what we need to work out from a practical point of view. That will take companies between six and 12 weeks, depending on the type of vaccine. 
mRNA or viral vectored vaccine. It will take about that time uh, to start making uh, new boosters if they're needed, if they're needed. And I think that only be needed if our 90% VE drops down to 30% or something like that. I wouldn't even worry if it was 60 or 70%, if it dropped down to that. But if the VE drops to about 30%, then um, I think we'll definitely need to make new boosters and make them as quickly as we can. But again, it's going to take a couple of weeks to find that out. Gary, is it possible that the wild infection with Omicron may give uh, those who've got it enduring protection? Uh, I think that's unlikely, David. Um, Not enduring. I think it will give protection for at least six months. Now, in a way, that's a very good question because we tend to look at antibody in serum. Now, antibody in serum is just a marker. We need to understand that the black box of the immune response, as I like to call it, is much larger than that, involving the full cellular and humoral arms of immunity. And we just look at, in this case, antibody to spike protein. Um, Or in the case of flu, you're looking at antibody to hemagglutinin. This is just a very small part, not only of the virus, but also of the immune response. So we don't know the correlates of protection still when it comes to coronavirus. What we're using is antibody markers. In other words, we're using immunogenicity and it does through clinical trials translate into efficacy and does through real world data translate into effectiveness. It's important, of course, to have that immunological marker, serological marker, but we still don't know the actual correlates of protection. So the question can't really be answered until we know the correlates of protection. However, Generally, when you have a natural infection, you get the full immune response, which and you get immune memory cells. And those memory cells are critical when it comes to reinfection. And we know we can be reinfected with this virus. And we also know that as good as the vaccines are in terms of protection, they do not stop transmission and infection. So these are all the things we still know. None of that has changed and none of it will change with Omicron as far as I can tell. But again, we're going to have to wait a little while. But I do hope that within the next six months, we will be able to elucidate what the correlates protection actually are. And I imagine it will be a combination of IgA, IgM, IgG, and also um, a suite of cellular immune responses. But Companies and regulators obviously can only measure uh, biological markers. This is a public health announcement on behalf of the Immunisation Coalition. Pertussis vaccinations protect our seniors. The fatality rate for pertussis aged over 50 is higher than for one to five-year-old children. Despite this threat, pertussis vaccination coverage in over 65s is unknown. This contrasts with influenza vaccination at 80%, pneumococcal vaccination at 40% and shingles vaccination at 25% coverage. As with all adults, people over 65 should get pertussis vaccination every 10 years. Protect against pertussis. Uh, If double-jabbed people get mild or very mild infections with the Omicron, and if that 
delivers, if you like, a whole body immune response to the whole virus and may give you better protection to reinfection. It's almost like what you said and what Minister Hunt had said, that this could be um, a, a very good Christmas present for Australia. Well, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I've always said that, that, yes, once we're vaccinated, then go out into the real world and, and uh, come across the virus uh, at some point, which we all will. You know, we kind of, you know, it's, I mean, if you take rhinoviruses, for example, we all get two or three sniffles or colds a year from rhinoviruses. It's not something you can escape. It just can't happen if you're moving around in the community or adenoviruses and enteroviruses are also incredibly common infections. Uh, 10% of people, as we speak now, are carrying these viruses for sure, and they're carrying them subclinically. And this is why viruses are so successful, because of the mild infections and the subclinical infections. And yes, they might start out as uh, Wu did, um, uh, Wuhan did in the beginning for coronavirus, but they'll end up being almost certainly just another common cold. We'll add it as number five next to OC43229E and the others that, are, that cause the common cold. Or, um, and, you know, it'll just be another one that causes an infection. And at some point, we're just not going to worry about it. But we'll probably still get the vaccines and we'll keep an eye on new variants as they arise. And uh, we'll still have test, trace, isolate. We might have home quarantine by then with any luck, which would make sense to me anyway, keep people at home and, and look after their mental health and well-being in general, uh, make sense and allow them to go to their medical appointments uh, is all important. And I think it's just going to be another virus in the mill in due course. And I would predict that's going to happen in a year or two. Once the fourth and fifth waves pass through, we should have an Omicron kind of virus there will be other variants to come, uh, which uh, will hopefully, and I would expect them to be milder in terms of their severity, probably just as transmissible from person to person. Uh, and we've seen so many clades disappear. We talk about Omicron, and it's the next best thing, but we've seen 13 major clades or, or variants of concern come and go. We've seen at least 30 um, or maybe more of uh, other Minor clades just come and go. You know, what, what happened to IOTA? What happened to Mu? What happened to Epsilon? All these came, they made a bit of a headline and they went. And I think Omicron will be the same unless it actually replaces Delta and there's no evidence for that yet. Delta is dominating all around the world to 99 point whatever percent, depending on the region. And that's in all regions except for Africa at the moment where Omicron, in terms of the Gizeh database data on sequences, uh, shows uh, some uh, 15 20% rise all of a sudden in the Omicron strain. And that's understandable. But Delta's still out there at 80%. Remember that. <laughs> it's going to take quite a shift to shift Delta as it's dominated all around the world. And it was Delta that knocked out Alpha, Beta, and Gamma. And there's very little Alpha, and Beta, and Gamma around now, although it still exists and then there are various subclades off those ones as well that pop up and disappear and so on. So while Omicron is the latest headline, frankly, I, you know, it's a big thing to say, but I, my feeling is there's nothing to see here, really. Gary, I would love in about two to three weeks when we hear more to have a little update. But I think you've managed to, uh, if you like, sound a word of 
not not just um, calm out there. Uh, there's been a lot of um, a lot of things said, but at the same time, like you've mentioned, some people saying it may not actually be such a bad thing. However, the one question that did keep popping up uh, was this question of vaccine equity. The uh, some countries in the world having double and triple jabs when some countries, other countries in the world, have not even seen a vaccine anywhere near them. Uh, what's your comment about this? Well, through the Immunisation Coalition, where I'm a, a director, board member, uh, together with others, obviously, and, and Robert Boyd, notably, both of us have written in newspapers about this issue, but we also have on our Immunisation Coalition website uh, information on, on equity. And... Our view is that we're all in the same boat. We can't just say we're going to look after Australia or the region. We have to look after the globe. We're all in the same boat. And this, I think, um, is an important point, uh, that we need to look after everybody in the boat. If we just look after Australia and the West, just to put it in a very broad term, and we don't look after poorer countries, then what will happen is a variance of concern will rise in poorer countries. And this is exactly what we've seen. We saw Mu arise in South America. We saw Delta come from India. And we saw now Omicron coming in South African region. And we've seen other variants in the South African region as well. So it seems, and it's not surprising, that variants will arise in the populations that are unvaccinated. To give you an example, while um, 90, I think 80% of the Western world, in inverted commas, have vaccine uh, and have a high double vax rate. The double vax rate in poorer countries is less than 2%. It's a very, very stark graph. Uh, this is important to know. And what we need to do in Australia, I must say, is punching above its weight. If you look at the Lowy Institute website, you'll see per capita donations per capita around the world, while USA leads the way per, per capita, Australia is actually second, which is extraordinary, is wonderful, followed by France and so on, uh, down mostly European countries. And unfortunately, you know, India, China and other countries uh, in that continent, Asian continent, um, have not been able to donate and they need vaccine, you know, particularly uh, in Southeast Asia, in Africa, South America, we need, and our region as well, uh, Papua, New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Fiji, and so on. We all need to make sure that they have as high a vaccination rate as we do. We need to get it to 80% plus around the world. And once the everyone is double vax and boosters are also available, and we, of course, are awash in boosters. But once that happens, then we'll find that there'll be very little chance of variants arising. So variants will be arising because of the speed the virus can go from person to person, which increases the probability of mutation. So if we can slow that down through vaccination, it doesn't eliminate it, of course, but it will slow it down to some degree. And as I've said, I don't know how many times in your program, uh, it's vaccines can't do the job by themselves. Mm. And we need a lot of research on antivirals to help, but and also non-pharmaceutical treatments that might also be useful. But on top of that, we still need to be aware and mindful and maintain common sense restrictions. 
And this is so important, even with vaccines. Let's not drop the ball. And But we need that message going all around the world as well. And while masks and so on are not going to stop the virus uh, in its tracks, it's going to slow it down big time and will also protect our valuable hospital system and their resources. So, you know, this is important. Hopefully, uh, it'll be a combination of these three things of vaccine and very good antiviral drugs and available to everyone, including poorer countries, to control the virus, save lives and so on, and these common sense restrictions. We have to be aware that we are carrying the virus now and can pass it on to other people. So if you're out and about, maintaining a one metre, one and a half metre distance makes sense. Uh, wearing a mask in crowded areas or public transport kind of scenarios makes sense. Washing your hands obviously makes sense. Uh, remembering also uh, hygiene in general in kitchens and bathrooms makes sense. And these viruses, the coronaviruses, are also excreted in fecal material, so toilet hygiene is still essential in schools and offices and so on. It's very, very important to keep getting the messages over about the importance of hygiene. It won't solve the problem, but will slow the virus down. Vaccine won't solve the problem, but it will slow the virus down. Same with antiviral drugs will help treat patients. We need that three-pronged attack constantly. And, you know, together with the restrictions I'm talking about, there would be you know, quarantine when we need it. Uh, so far, uh, test, trace and isolate should be there all the time and should always be available. So we can go and get a test, a PCR test. And if we're positive, we can uh, set it out for a few days uh, until we're negative. And this, is, this just makes sense. And I think there hasn't been enough investment, David, in the common sense and intelligence of the community. It's a different topic for a different time, but these ideas of making vaccine mandatory takes away people's ability to reason and make their own decisions and, and so on. And we need to respect that, uh, even though we might disagree with it. Uh, as scientists and medical people, you obviously want everybody to be vaccinated, but forcing anything at all is generally counterproductive. It's much better to educate, much, much better to educate and train uh, and offer the vaccine and invest in people's intelligence and common sense so they can make a decision to take a vaccine or not, or make a decision to do something else. See, this, I think, is so important. And um, we've done that always with all vaccines in Australia. They've never been mandatory. And uh, uh, been always highly recommended, and there is a national immunisation uh, program and so on, uh, all of life vaccination. And a lot of this is on our website as well, the immunisationcoalition.org.au. So I'll put in a plug for them. And uh, that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of information there that we try and keep up to date. Of course, there are many other websites that are doing the same thing. Gary, I'm so glad you touched on that because if there's one thing we've all noticed is that when you try to mandate something, enforce um, a, a, a decision, uh, all you do is to create a stone wall and, and, and entrench opposition. There'll be very little, very little dialogue. Yes, I, I agree. And it cuts out dialogue. And unfortunately, as we've already seen, we end up with uh, the potential for violence. And this is really, really unfortunate. I think it's very, very important we put out the positive message that vaccines are good and useful and show people what they do uh, through whole of life, not just the corona vaccines, and show how they benefit the whole of society and eventually the whole of humanity. You need to go 
step by step from individual to family to community to nation to humanity. And we are in a humanitarian boat here. And uh, the more people uh, that do get vaccinated, then the, the better will be for everyone. And I, I think this is such an important message to get over in terms of vaccine equity to ensure that all countries in the world have the same opportunity and end up at the same place, somewhere between 80 and 9% double vax. Dr. Graham, I always appreciate speaking with you and looking at um, issues from, from many perspectives. Uh, if it's possible uh, in the next two, three weeks, or when you feel you know more about Omicron and where it stands, um, just another word from you so that we can finally uh, put ourselves at ease uh, with this variant but I will always remember the Gary Groman mantra, which is that we can and must look after ourselves. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, very good speaking with you, David. Always great to talk to you, Gary. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Just a quick reminder to encourage you to register for next week's webcast on Tuesday, the 7th of December, featuring Professor Mary Louise McLaws, who will be talking about the Omicron variant and what the implications are in the near to medium term future for Australia and the world.